Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to GradCast, the original podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. I'm Tristan Johnson. I'm here today with Elkin Sierra. And your topic is really unique, so I'm going to get you to uh, lay it out yourself. Okay. Hi. Hi, everybody. Um, here... Today I'm going to talk about what I'm working on my thesis, which is uh, the acquisition of Spanish lexical stress by Japanese speakers while learning Spanish as a second language. Um, what I want to, to know is if they can perceive the Spanish lexical stress. Um, I have two groups. Mm-hmm. One there is in Japan and the other one there is in Bogota, Colombia. So I want to to know if they can perceive this lexical stress, uh, depending on if they are in a class setting, mm-hmm. instruction, like classroom, classroom yeah, yeah, and the immersion there is in Colombia. All right, excellent. There's a lot to there's a lot to unpack there. So first, let's um. Go with the first uh, the first obvious question. So the I, the numbers, like I'm just imagining. So what would drive you to a subject such as Japanese people learning Spanish? Okay, um, I'm a Japanese speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been learning this language for four years. It's a very difficult language and uh, very different from Spanish. And as I was studying, because I started to, st- to study in Colombia, Mm-hmm. I was paying attention to my teachers and the way they they pronounce Spanish, and I was wondering myself, oh, what problems could these uh, Japanese speakers could have when they learn Spanish? Mm-hmm. Then uh, I decided to look for information about these two languages, and I found that there are few works on these two languages, but there are a huge quantity. Um, Spanish, sorry, in on English and Japanese, mm-hmm. there are many, but Japanese, Spanish, just one, one work about my, uh, it's quite the same, my research about the acquisition of stress, but just one, can you imagine? And Japanese and Spanish, they, they have been in contact from a lot of time. Then I was wondering, oh, this could be a good way to give uh, like an, uh, a new work for the field. Yeah, it's definitely a wide open area. So it's an interesting thing about that is like, I imagine in the world of studying how people learn languages, mm-hmm. that just because of the way economics works, there's probably like, oh, I, like I've learned a few languages and I always see it from the English perspective because English is my first language. So is this endemic of this particular group of languages or is it just non-English to non-English uh, overall an un- underrepresented field of linguistic study? Oh, it's uh, because English is all over the world mm-hmm. and is the most studied language because uh, it, when I was living in Europe, in England, mm-hmm. I went to Germany, I went to Italy and I didn't know those languages, German and Italian, but I could, com- I could communicate in English. 
-hmm. So it's studied all over the world. So that's why people go and, okay, what's going to happen with the Italians when they learn this area of English? Well, then in Japan, the first uh, language is, the second, the first second language mm -hmm. yep. um, is English. After that, Chinese. And the third one is Spanish right now. It's a very popular language now. But there are a lot of work on that. Uh, yeah, I imagine that. Um, imagine that the idea of like, because like Japanese to English, I mean, you're talking about like a German-based language mm -hmm. to a. Uh, what would be the language group that your Japanese is in? Do you know? Um, they they have their own roots, Japanese. Yeah, it, it's 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 a very weird language. Yeah. Like it's kind of the, the writing. We can say that is uh, from the Chinese. They took it from Chinese because they didn't they didn't have any any writing. Mm -hmm. But when the Chinese arrived in in Japan, they discovered that Chinese could write, could write. So they decided to write Japanese, mm -hmm. what they have, the, the, the language they have that was called Yamato, with Chinese characters. So the first literature in Japan is written in Chinese. Yeah, you see there with a lot of languages that didn't have like written things. Like I'm thinking of like Urdu, where they it's sort of like Hindi, but with like the Arabic alphabet, or like mm -hmm. Turkish, where it has the Latin alphabet, but it's like a like mm -hmm. a Central Asian language. So like that is is it that kind of situation? Like did Japanese just it didn't have a written language beforehand? And yeah, yeah, they adopt. Okay, they adopted the Chinese characters, but now they have their own characters that mm -hmm. if a Chinese can decipher what's on signs and written, but they can read it in the, in the Japanese in Japanese, but they can know what's the meaning of everything. So this is like for like example like to kind of give an example at home. So this is how like an English person could read French and know what the sounds of the letters are, but they wouldn't be able to actually tell what's actually being said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. It's like uh, Italian or Portuguese. Mm -hmm. I can't read it and I can't understand, but I'm not able to talk because they are so similar to mm -hmm. Spanish. In this case, Chinese, because Chinese, uh, uh, Chinese people have these characters. And Japanese just adopted them, so they can't say what's going on in the newspaper or and the signs. But they can't pronounce because Japanese people they had their own pronunciation of Yamato language, okay. and they added the Japanese pronunciation and the Chinese pronunciation. As I went when when I uh, now I'm learning Japanese, so I have to learn for one character the Chinese pronunciation and the Japanese pronunciation, which is difficult. Because if I learn Chinese, I just learn the Chinese pronunciation. But with Japanese, I have to learn four or five ways of pronouncing that same character. Yeah, I remember there's like this um, this gradient scale. Like I, this is based on English, but I imagine it's similar enough for Spanish because Spanish and English are they're not they're not super distant. Uh, mm. And but uh, they have this list where they classify languages based on how difficult they are. And I believe Japanese and Arabic are like the two most difficult languages for somebody to learn. Yeah, they are very difficult. Um, to you, in Japanese, you have like three systems of writing, mm -hmm. and they mix together because uh, they have the Japanese. Uh, they they have the characters are Chinese, mm -hmm. and they have two syllabaries that are called kana. Then one is called uh, hiragana, and this one is for the grammar, the adjectives, the verbs. And the other one is katakana, and this is for like computer because it's not 
that's not Japanese, so that's a foreign theme. So they write that in katakana. So when they write a newspaper, uh, an article, or everyday life, they put them together. So it's quite complicated. But when you learn Chinese, you know, it's just the characters. But the advantage is if you know English, there are a lot of words written in katakana. Then it's easier for you. So is katakana kind of like pinyin? Uh, like no, 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 because uh, the pinyin they use the uh, Roman alphabet. In this, they use it's like a derivation from the characters, the Chinese characters. Mm-hmm. They make it like uh, very simple, and they were used like uh, to teach mm-hmm. because you have the characters, but you don't know how how the what was the sound of the character. So you use the kana to read that. Then it's like a phonological uh, syllable, it's just to pronounce. It doesn't have a meaning, it's just for pronunciation. In Chinese, they use the pinyin for pronouncing the characters using Roman alphabets. But the Japanese, they use the same characters, but it's a simple character. But are they both used for the same purpose of like having something that you could fit on a keyboard, for example? Yes. yes okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Then when, when, you, when you have, uh, when you write on the keyboard or the computer, you don't write the character, you just write the pronunciation. Then, for example, if you're going to write uh, taxi, which is uh, uh, a loan from English language, so you write takuchi, and the katakana is going to appear, then you just press that that word that you're set to write there. And if you're going to write, for example, a character like tree or ski, then you just write ki, K-I, and the character appears. Oh, okay. That's, That's really clever. Yeah. Okay, so the next question, I guess, uh, to unpack what you're studying is um, lexical stress. Mm. Can you like let us know what that is? Okay, um, this is uh, stress is like the prominence of words. Mm-hmm. When, you, when we pronounce, we make an emphasis on certain syllables. Mm-hmm. Then, for example, we have the word father. Mm-hmm. Then it, it has two syllables. And the prominence or the emphasis is on the first one, father. So that's the stress. We have the stress, sir. Then there are certain words that, depending on the position of the stress, the meaning is different. Mm-hmm. Then we have import, import. Mm-hmm. Then the same written word, but with different stress position, then it has a different meaning. It turns from a noun to a verb. Yeah, just for yeah. the stress position. And it happens the same in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And there are many words like that. And for example, we have the word Termino, termino, termino. Then termino is term, the, the stress in the first syllable. Mm-hmm. Termino is, termino, sorry, termino is I finished. Mm-hmm. He termino, he or she finished. So different meaning according to the, the, the position of the stress. Then when Japanese speakers are learning Spanish, that could be a difficulty. Because Spanish has a different realization of stress than uh, Japanese. And Spanish, we have, is a stress accent language. But Japanese is a pitch accent language. That means pitch is a tone, mm-hmm. a frequency. They have just the tone. But in Spanish, we have the tone as well. Mm-hmm. We have the length of the, the, the syllable and the intensity. Three, 
Wow. <laughs> okay. Then uh, in Japanese, they just, the cue for, de- for perceiving the stress is the tone, no more. But in Spanish, we have three. Then that could make it difficult for them. And when we have these words that change the meaning according to the position of the stress, uh, like in a question, and the word is in final position, the stress is going to be like, a, there, there's going to be a displacement of the tone. Like, and for example, we have um, in a question, el terminó, that's, did he finish? Mm-hmm. That will be, then when this el terminó, then if we go in a spectrogram, like the, the picture of the sound, there is going to be a different realization and the syllable that is believed to be stressed is not the one with the tone. It has moved to the last uh, syllable. Then in Japanese, the cue is a tone. So if you say, el termino, then they're going to understand something different if they are talking about termino and not termino. Mm-hmm. then it's going to be confusing for them. Then I think my my hypothesis is they're going to have difficulties. The Japanese speakers in Bogota and the Japanese speakers in Japan because of this different realization of the stress. So in questions, they're going to have difficulties. Then uh, I haven't tested everything. I'm just in the... And I'm collecting the data, but I haven't uh, like uh, come up with a result. I'm just still collecting the data and testing the, the participants. So do you have a little bit of data? Do you have anything that you could talk about about how it's turned out or something through personal experience? Um, it's, uh, I was trying to go to Japan, but uh, I applied for a scholarship to the Japan Foundation, but I couldn't get the scholarship. So I had to decide to do everything from here because it's quite expensive to go to Japan and stay there. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Then um, I have a five professors in Japan helping me mm-hmm. with the students. So they have, uh, and I have um, another person in Bogota who's going to take um, uh, the computer, the laptop to the place of where these uh, people are living. Then I think 20 years ago, I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> because now with the technology, it's very, it's, it's simpler to, to do it now because uh, um, I'm using a software that's called Open Sesame, mm-hmm. and that's for like um, running the experiment. And there is uh, another software that is called Team Viewer, and that allows me to show my screen laptop, or my desktop, with the computer in Japan. So <laughs> yeah, what I have here in my computer, the, the experiment running on Open Sesame, which is the the, the, the software for making linguistics um, experiments, they're gonna have it there, as if I were there. That nice. 
that that's a, a very key element of my on my research now because of the technology. Without that, I wouldn't be able to to continue. And how about working with in Bogota as well? Like, uh, how's the coordination with them? Uh, I have uh, I called them in advance, and I have uh, a system that is called Snowball. Then I have a, a friend there, and she is the head of the academy where I was studying Japanese. So she's uh, uh, saying that there is a person needing participants, and she is uh, like. Uh, looking for the people and a friend tells a friend and that friend tells another friend then is a chain now i have 25 participants and my brother-in-law is going to have everything on the computer and is going to visit this person now after um making or setting an appointment he's going there He's gonna turn off the turn on the computer and is going to be through Skype. Then I'm gonna be able to talk to the person and explain it to he to him or to her what's going to happen. And my brother-in-law is going to have uh, open sesame and is going to have Skype and Team Viewer on his laptop. So it's going to be easier for them to be in contact with me. <laughs> And so you're going to be, it's amazing that you could do research that's based on Colombia and Japan while in Canada trying to put data together. And so is there, uh, is there like political motivations or any sort of economic motivations? Like, is there large, uh, is there a large Colombian population in Japan or a large Japanese population in Colombia that um, increases this demand for this Japanese Spanish like program to work out better? Yeah, um, in Colombia, I have uh, as well. I, I want to study the, the, this community. We have a community in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, there are like three thousand Japanese people that are living, and they have their own land, and they are living like in Japan a hundred years ago. <laughs> really? Yeah, because uh, there is a novel. There is called Maria, and Maria. In this novel, they describe the Cali. Cali is a city in the Pacific uh, area of Colombia. But this writer describes these farms and this landscape of Cali in the 19th century that in a beautiful way. So in Japan, a professor read the novel and said, oh, I want to know this paradise. Mm-hmm. So he traveled to Colombia and he knew what he read. He said, it's true. So he stayed and started to buy land. So after Second World War and all these uh, conflicts in the world and with Japan and all that, so many people started to go to Colombia, to Cali, because they have uh, some people now living there. And today we have 3,000 people living there. And they have many of them, they don't speak Spanish because they're living just uh, in their own bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them speak, uh, like the old generation, they, they don't speak so much Spanish, but the new one, the new generation, they speak uh, in, uh, Spanish and they're sent to Japan to study. And after that, they go back to Colombia. And I would like to to uh, to do 
some work with these communities as well. Um, because in in Bogota, they speak a very good Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of uh, foreign people going to study Spanish during in, in, in Colombia. So there are Japanese people too, learning Spanish. And what made you suspect that there's going to be an issue with Japanese speakers learning Spanish with this um, lexical stress? Oh, because um, I was uh, reading and the professor that is helping me, it was his art- article I was reading, his professor, professor Kimura. I was reading and he said uh, that maybe questions would be a difficulty for them. But he didn't explain more. He said that could be a good way to um, know more about acquisition, the acquisition of Spanish lexical stress by Japanese speakers. So I said, oh, this could be a good topic. Then I started to read about the, the questions and I didn't find anything uh, related on, the, on this topic with Japanese and Spanish. So I decided to start my research questions mm-hmm. and talk to my supervisor and she said, this is a good topic and this hasn't been studied. So you have a, um, you have a, a good theme now. So I wrote to Professor Kimura uh, telling him I'm working on this. Uh, is this, uh, is just your article the only one written or there are more because I haven't been able to find anything. And he wrote back to me and he said, now I'm the only one with this article. So we're going to have the, we're going to be pioneers in this field. So that's why it, this work is important because, uh, it has a pedagogical implication. So, yeah, It'll help like teach yeah. uh, Spanish to Japanese and people. Yeah. Teachers know, oh, in this stage, they're gonna have these troubles or they're not gonna, they're gonna, have, they're not gonna get it or, mm-hmm. or in immersion, because there are some uh, works in on immersion students and they, they don't perform well. And the class is instructed Students, they perform better than the ones in immersion, but it depends on the situation and the context they were. Um, that's why we we, uh, we have to, to, to study uh, these uh, immersion situations because maybe they are in immersion, but they go to study and after that they go back to their Japanese friends bubble and they don't speak uh, any Spanish. But that's why I'm looking for people who are the participants, people who are um, learning in the university or working in Colombia. And the ones in Japan, they they have to be uh, just classroom setting students. And um, how has has it been different for, you were talking a little bit about how um, this is like a problem that comes up when you do immersion, but like, um, how is it when comparing the people studying Spanish in Japan as opposed to Colombia. Mm, yeah. um, or if you don't have the data yet, I mean. No, but I could say that the, uh, the, the people in Colombia, they're going to have an advantage mm-hmm. because uh, they're going to have a native speaker. In Japan, they could have a Japanese speaker 
that could have an accent or couldn't have a good... I still don't know what kind of instructor they have there mm -hmm. because um, uh, they don't know, they don't give me that information. It's really hard to immigrate to Japan, so I imagine they don't yeah. have that many... Uh, yeah, like, and yeah. all the, the, the professors are, like, uh, helping me, the old they are Japanese that speak Spanish. They speak a very, very, they have a very, very uh, advanced uh, uh, level in Spanish, but maybe uh, because uh, the people who are going to be in Bogota at the time of the experiment, they are more time sharing with people, speaking in Spanish all the time, and hearing Spanish all the time, and the Japanese, the, the, the teacher is going to be a native Spanish speaker, that could be an advantage. But you know that when you are learning a language, you have to study, and sometimes you know many things that the native speaker don't know about mm -hmm. the same language, right? Because you're learning, you're not acquiring that. And maybe, like in these studies I, I was reading, the instruction could give them more tools than the ones just being in, in the immersion language. But it depends on the context. I don't know. Uh, I have to, like, merge the data. Or... Yeah, collect all the data and say, okay, they didn't speak Spanish all the time because they were just going to class or going to the workplace for a short time. And after that, they went back to their house and they didn't speak any Spanish just Japanese. That was a case with Korean speakers or immersion um, in in the States. They went to study, but after that they went back to like the Korean bubble and they didn't, the, the, the students that were in the classroom in Korea mm -hmm. learning English outperformed the, the ones who were in immersion. So we have to I have to be careful with the context of learning of the students and what they are, what they are doing after and before class. <laughs> oh, that's really good. And so, because you mentioned like a bunch of your friends and your like brother-in-law and such are in Colombia, mm -hmm. so you you're here from Colombia. You came from Colombia to come here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you, I'm just interested because you're studying this thing that's about Colombia and Japan, and I'm, you have to have a good story as to like how you ended up. All the way up in Canada, doing <laughs> doing um doing such a doing just a study. I, it's just interesting. I'd yeah, um, love to hear the story. I was studying Japanese, so I get I got interested in um, study people who were Japanese speaker and learning Spanish, and I decided to apply uh, for scholarship in Japan, but I didn't get it, and that was like, the the year of the tsunami. Mm -hmm. And I say, oh, maybe because of that, I didn't go there. <laughs> then I decided to apply to, to Canada because I remember McGill University. Somebody told me about McGill University, but I didn't apply for McGill University because they didn't have a, like the modern languages department, like the one here in Western. Because it depends where the, the university you apply. They're going to give you some things and then they're going to give you other things. Then... In at Western, if you are accepted, they give you everything, the whole package. Mm -hmm. You're gonna be a TA. You're gonna have something to survive, money, and the scholarship. 
other universities, okay, you're accepted, but now you have to look for the money to survive, then it's quite difficult. And I wa- then I was looking which university could be better, and I applied for Ottawa and Western. And Ottawa, I had some troubles with the pay, the, 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 the documents I was sending there. Um, and through all the process, they were telling me, you have to send more documents. You have to send more documents. I was, uh, uh, they wasn't like they weren't like uh, comfortable with all the documentation I was sending. And in that time, I received the Western answer. And they were telling me, "You're accepted to come here and to uh, as a PhD student." Mm-hmm. So I, I decided to come. That's why I, I arrived here in Canada. And so good so far. Huh? So good so far. Yeah, this is a it's a good experience. I was I was before in in England because I won a scholarship to go to, mm-hmm. but it's something completely different. <laughs> here is different, and I spend more time here. I spent there like a year, and I've been here for three years, three winters. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, and Japanese. Uh, I was at university. And it wasn't through linguistics that I got interested into Japanese. It was through literature because I read a novel written by Yasunari Kawabata, who was the first uh, Nobel Prize in literature in Japan. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Wow, I want to read this in the original language." <laughs> but I haven't been able to read that because it's very difficult to read literature in Japan in Japanese, mm-hmm. even for Japanese people, it's very difficult. So, and after that, I started to. Um, study Japanese and meanwhile I was studying Japanese I got interested in studying the acquisition of Spanish by Japanese speakers I wish all the best luck I, you're building you're building bridges between <laughs> cultures which is yeah. which is a good way to do it well, thank you so much Elvin for coming on okay thank you thank you that's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.